Good morning. It is such a privilege. You can understand what a privilege it is to stand before you to bring the word of God. And I do not do it lightly. I do it with fear and trembling and with great trepidation because I have been trusted with this word that I hope I deliver it to you in the manner that God gave it to me. I'm going to take this time also to remind you to silence your phones. If you use your phones for the Bible and uh, other things related to the service, I won't ask you to turn them off, but please silence them because you might get a call or a text and we don't want it to disturb the people around you. On Wednesday night, we begin a study on the book of Romans. And Romans, it, it, I, I brought the first chapter, and it so stirred me, it so got in my spirit, I can't stop thinking about it. I can't, uh, you know, the book of Romans changed the course of church history. Martin Luther, after reading Romans, he saw how sinful he was and how the church was not teaching the right things. So he nailed his uh, 85 on the door of, of the church. And the same thing happened, uh, St. Augustine, years later before he read the book and he saw his sinfulness and he was cut. John Calvin uh, and, and as well, the book of Romans revolutionized. And so it is with me, just in the first chapter, I can't get beyond it because there's so much. And on, on Wednesday, like I said, I brought you a teaching, an overview of chapter one. But this morning, I want us to dig a little deeper into the truths that are contained here. And there's many. If I was to sum up, sum up this chapter in a few words, it would be good news and bad news. You've all heard it, those jokes that says, I've got good news and bad news. Which do you want first? If it's so, here are some examples. Let me give you some examples to kind of lighten us up a little bit. A wife walks up to her husband and he says, honey, I have some good news and some bad news about our car. And the husband says, well, give me the good news first. The wife says, the airbags work. <laughs> but in the sum total, it was just bad news. Here's one that's, that's also funny, but it's also tragic. A teenage daughter walks up to, to her dad and he says, Dad, I have some good news and some bad news. Well, give me the good news first, uh, sweetheart. The daughter said, I got a plus on my test. And he said, well, that's great news. Well, what could be, what's the bad news? He said, it was a pregnancy test. <laughs> Again, the net effect was bad news. And there's one last one before we get on. A doctor is called, uh, talks to his patient and he tells him, I have some bad news and some really bad, bad news. The lab called with your test results and they showed that you have 24 hours to live. 
The guy said, 24 hours, that's terrible news. What could be worse? And the doctor says, I've been trying to reach you since yesterday. <laughs> Once more, the end result is bad news. But this morning, I have to do some really, really bad news. But I will end up with some really, really great news. So let's dig into God's word. I will start, like I said, with some bad news that does not bode well for America. But I will finish with some great news. If you look at your outline, and if you don't have an outline, we can't pass them out because of the COVID restrictions. They're out in the foyer on the table there. You can, you can step back at this moment and get one. It won't bother me if you walk around. So if you look at your outline, I'll read the introduction, which are lyrics from one of my favorite songs. It's a song that sums up my message in one verse. The song is titled, Living Hope. And it's a song by Phil Wickman. Let's read the introduction together. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished. The end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. So let's get into our lesson. First, the bad news. If you'll open your Bibles to Romans 1, I'll read from the New King James, beginning in verse 18. Mark will project them over there if you didn't bring your Bible. I so hope you carry your Bible to church, but in case you didn't, Brother Mark will project them. Verse 18 of Romans 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. Nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. 
Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty in their error which was due. And even as they did not retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to the debate to a debased mind to do things which are unfitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetedness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil madness. They are worship, worse, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boaster, inventor of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteousness of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Thank you for your word, God. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I am so grateful for your word, Father. And Lord, help us to view it, Father, not as an old manuscript of ancient writings, but, but Lord, as a living instrument, a living word, Father, that comes to us in here in 2020, the same that it came back when you walked, your son walked the earth. Help us to see it, Father, and receive it and apply it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Verse 18 starts with, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. So let's take a look at that concept, the wrath of God. When you think of the wrath of God, what comes to mind? Lightning bolts from heaven, calamities, earthquakes, tsunamis, hurricanes, and on and on. Actually, I find the term, the wrath of God, has three manifestations. God sends them or will send them in three ways. The first is in the final judgment where all unrighteousness will experience the wrath of God in eternal damnation. People like Adolf Hitler, who committed suicide rather than face the judgment of the world court, as well as specialist Aaron David Robinson, who killed that beautiful young soldier in Fort Hood, Texas, and then committed suicide rather than face the judgment of a court-martial, <clears throat> are fooling themselves they will, did not avoid judgment. Both of them will stand, as well as the whole mankind, will stand before that final white throne of judgment. They will stand there and receive judgment. And those whose name is not found written in the book of life will face the wrath of God by being cast into the lake of fire. You can find that in Revelations 20 and throughout Revelations. Secondly, 
Another form of the wrath of God is what I will call a judicial wrath of God. In Romans 13, speaking of all governing authorities that are ultimately appointed, appointed by God, we read thus, For he is God's minister, talking about kings, presidents, or head of the country, for he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. It, it saddens me to see that our president, or any president, it's not the man, it's the office, and it saddens me to see our president being disrespected in such vulgar and obscene ways. I mean, our first lady, this sweet, unopposing, graceful lady, it's, I saw a tweet from her about schools opening and responses of school opening and the responses that were retweeted, the comments, were filthy. X-rated epitaph, epitaphs. But that rage also extends to our military and most recently to our police force. Are there some bad apples in the military? Well, I just mentioned one that killed another. Are there bad apples in the police force? We've all seen the video. But to paint them all with a brush, the same brush, is also disparaging to God because he appointed them. They were appointed by God. Would any of us say that Brother Larry or Brother Rick, who both retired from the police force at Durham Police, would you call them evil or corrupt or racist? We all here that know them will say a resounding no. They are God's ministers to you for good. But break the law and you will experience God's judicial wrath with arrest, conviction, incarceration, maybe your wallet as well. Third is what I call the permissive wrath of God. That's when God withdraws from a person, or more importantly, from a nation, for their flagrant and unrepentant sin. There are examples throughout Scripture of God abandoning people for their continued disobedience. The first one that comes to mind is Samson. If you don't know his story, you will find it in Judges chapters 13 to 16. But in a nutshell, he was born miraculously of a woman who had been barren. And he became Israel's first superhero. His strength was legendary. But he strayed with the same progression that is described here in our reading. In this passage that we read, he progressed downward and eventually was abandoned by God.
But God not only abandons a person for unrepentant sin, he also abandons a nation. Read in Hosea 4 and 17, where he says, Ephraim is joined to idols, let him alone, let him be. Ephraim here referenced one of the tribes of Israel. God abandons them. Leave him alone, he says. In Judges 10 and 13, God tells the people of Israel, You have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will deliver you no more. God withdrew. And Jesus, speaking of the Pharisees, said in Matthew 15 and 14, Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. You see, God gets, comes to a point when he abandons the men. He leaves the people to their own sinful choices. They are left to reap the consequences of their own choices. You've all heard the expression, you've made your bed, now lay in it. I dread just the thought that God would abandon me, that I would have to live without God in my life is just terrifying. It is unbearable to me. It is unthinkable. And yet, I feel in my spirit that God has abandoned America. You, the born-again followers of Christ, are the remnant left on the earth to intercede and to cry out for America. And I implore, won't you please join us on Friday night from 7 to 8 as we stand in the gap for America. For we are currently experiencing God's removal of his restraining grace. God's wrath is already here, brothers and sisters. Verse 24, 26, and 28, three times Paul says that God turned them over. Just notice in this scripture the progression of the abandonment. The first step is the degrading of the mind. Verse 24 states that God gave them up to the uncleanness, to the lusts of their hearts. The heart in scripture refers to the mind. Satan's strategy to take you down with him always begins in the mind. He whispers his enticements. You're on the internet or you're surfing through your channels. And on the internet, you've all seen it. You have your news items here. And on the side, you have an ad. Always a beautiful person. Always in enticing clothing. It is always appealing to lust. No matter what it's selling. Car insurance, cars, lawyers, 
I've even seen it advertising the removal of toe fungus. How can that be sexy, but here it is. It is always appealing to lust, and it begins in the mind and progresses to outward expression. The lust of the heart unchecked will lead to impurity, and that first indication is sexual immorality. We all had a chuckle a moment ago at my good news story, good news, bad news story about the teenage daughter. When I was growing up, an unwed pregnancy was a major humiliation to a family. Now it's no big deal. There are pregnant girls in high school finishing up their diploma, whereas before, they would have been shipped out of state, out of the city to stay with a relative until the, the baby was born. Now, now, I'm not saying that that is the proper way to handle it or that's the way it should be handled. But I'm just comparing and saying that then there was so much stigma on a family to have an unwed person in the family in pregnancy. An abortion? was out of the question. If you even suggested having an abortion, you were looked upon as a monster. What about today? Some of you may not remember the hippie movement of the 60s. Their slogans were about flower power, free love, living in communes, and communes was where they shared everything, they raised each other's kids, and there was free love, and they didn't have partners. They could move partners around. And you know Charles Manson? You all know Charles Manson, don't you? Now that's an extreme case from that era where he exploited the minds of impressionable young people to do unspeakable things. If you look at that man, you could say that is a devil incarnate. And it was in this era that Hugh Hefner's Playboy empire exploded onto the scene. It moved before, if you were caught with a nudie magazine, it was called the Smut Magazine. And it moved to respectable journalism. In those days, if you were caught with one, your excuse would be, well, I got it for the articles, wink, wink. <laughs> and the money poured in. Now the internet is flooded with pornography and pornography enticements, which I call hooks. It is a multi-billion dollar industry. It has continued in a spiral uh, down, downward spiral in lustful desires to pedophilia and sex trafficking. So much so, and you can ask Brother Larry, that a whole area of the police force is spent on monitoring social websites to try and catch predators. Sex is running rampant. And as a consequence, the marriage institution is deteriorating. 
When we tell people that Josie and I have been married 51 years, the response is an, av an unbelieving, wow, you deserve a medal. What I say? Isn't that what, I, what we vowed? Until death do us part? I hope it's 70 or 80 years. The second step is that God gave them up to vile passions. In verse 26, it describes the perversion, a gift that God gave to marriage couples. What was intended in marriage between a man and a woman has been perverted into gross affection. Women with women, or in other words, lesbianism. One commentator said that females here were listed first because they were the last ones to fall, because they embraced motherhood. Their basic role of motherhood now has been abandoned in lesbianism. Homosexuality in our culture is now embraced and considered a protected minority in our legal system. Although homosexuals make up less than 5% of the U.S. population, the news media, the movie industry, and especially our educational system is embracing them. You know, if somebody were to listen to this message or on YouTube or on the internet, if from that industry, I would be labeled a homophobe. Homophobe, that's a new word in our culture. I would be labeled a bigot for declaring the word of God. God's wrath of abandonment is in operation. The third step is God gave us, God gave them over to a debased mind. The culture of this nation that was founded on Christian principles, trusting on God's providence, has been replaced. Reasonable thinking has been replaced with unreasonable mindsets. The evidence is the current, what they call, another word, culture cancel, that movement where statues are currently being defaced, damaged, or even torn down. Were those founders perfect? No man is. Did they have flaws? Like every man on the planet, they had flaws. But you see, this is not a new movement. The culture cancel did not begin in 2020. Not even close. It began in the 60s with Madeleine Murray O'Hare president of the American Atheists. She successfully campaigned for the removal of prayer from the schools, stating that, she, that education had nothing to do with religion. Josie was going through her Facebook stuff or whatever she is she looks at, and she read me a quote. Said, listen to this, Dan. Benjamin Rush 
One of the founding fathers and signers of the Declaration of Independence said, The Bible, when not read in schools, is seldom read in any subsequent period of life. The Bible should be read in our schools in preference to all other books because it contains the greatest portion of that kind of knowledge which is calculated to produce private and public happiness. End of quote. How far we have fallen. God has abandoned America. That's the bad news. I see all the long faces, but perk up. Here's the good news. Read with me Romans 1, beginning in verse 13. Now, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that I have often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now. That I may have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. For in it is the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. There is so much here, but I'm looking at the clock, so I'll give you the condensed version. The Apostle Paul had one consuming passion. It was to win souls, or, he, or as he says here, to have some fruit. The man could preach all day and all night. That was his passion, preaching the word of God. So much so that we read in chapter 20 of Acts that Paul continued to preach until midnight and a young man fell out of the third story window when he fell asleep. We read that Paul went to him, fell on him, embraced him, and declared that the man was alive. That's not all. He brought it back in to the house, ate with him, and then continued to preach until daybreak. The man loved to preach. I won't do that to you today. He felt, Paul felt, he was a debtor to all who had received Christ. No matter their social status, whether they were Greek or barbarian, no matter their education or their IQ, whether they were wise and unwise, or unwise. He was a debtor to them. To understand what that means, let me give you an example. Say I lend you $100. You are a debtor to me until you pay me back $100. Now, if I give you $100 and ask you to give it to someone, you are still a debtor until you deliver that $100 to the intended person. Christ has given us and given Paul a tremendous responsibility to deliver the gospel, a most precious gift to all the people.
And as was the pattern that God has established since the uh, Old Testament and through Jesus' ministry, it was for the Jew first and then for all the others. Just as God had entrusted him with this precious gift of the gospel to Paul, he has entrusted us with it. You were not saved to sit and wait for the glory train to come and get you. I remember an old Christian greeting. It went kind of like this. Hey, how are you doing, brother? And the response would be, I'm saved, sanctified, and going to heaven. True, but it's more to it than that. I heard Tommy Barnett, Pastor Tommy Barnett from Phoenix, tell us once, this church is not a waiting room for the saints. It's an emergency room for the unsaved. So when an unsaved person comes in, you give up your seat to them. That should be our heart. I want to say the same thing to us. Durham is bursting at the seams with hurting and unsaved people. And we have been entrusted with this precious gospel. And we are debtors to them to deliver it. I know we have challenges. And I see for the Ferrers there that are chomping at the beat bit because I know their heart. And they're pulling people, come help us. Let's take this gift to the people. And that should be our calling. That should be our desire. We have been entrusted not to keep it, not to wait for heaven, but to disperse it. We are debtors to the people all around us to deliver it. Paul then writes, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. When I first came to the Lord, I was in a bowling league with a group of guys. I wouldn't call them exactly rowdy, but I wouldn't call them tame either. There was drinking and smoking, crude jokes, and you know, when guys get together, unsaved got guys get together. So when I got saved, I, I decided to stay in the group to win them for Christ. I found out that that was easier said than done. The first bowling day, I get there quiet as a mouse. The waitress comes around for our order, and, I'm, and everybody orders their beer. I ordered a Coke, and I get weird looks, but no one says anything. And I'm just saying, I got to speak, I got to speak. After a couple of rounds, one of the guys asked me if I wasn't drinking that night, and Here's my chance. Declare the gospel. My mouth went dry. My voice tightened up. And all I could come up with, I'm going to church now. <laughs> the response was, oh, cool. Some evangelist I am, huh? But in contrast, almost like weeks later, our church had food handouts that was a custom of doing it once a month. We would give out groceries and present the gospel to the people in line. And man, I was a gospel ninja. 
What was the difference? Was I ashamed of the gospel to my friends, but not to strangers? But I tell you, the difference came when I received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I became a ninja to all. I eventually got kicked out of the bowling league, so much of a ninja that I got. But what a difference. Pastor is going to speak about that at the end of, of my message. Realize that the, the, the gospel is the power of God to save all of who believe. All they have to do is believe. Believe what? Believe that he was born of a virgin. Believe that he lived a sinless life. Believed that he died on the cross, died and was buried. Believe that he rose again on the third day and believe that he ascended at, at, to heaven and he sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us and believe that he will return someday to take us home to be with him. That is believing faith. But wait, there's more. The gospel of God is the righteousness of God revealed to us, covering us. To put it simply, God is righteous. He is holy. He could never abide in anything that would sully that. Man is sinful, evil, unrighteous, and the two can never meet. There is a chasm that we cannot cross to meet God. But God, in his love for us, has extended us grace by giving his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. When we accept Jesus Christ, we are covered with his righteousness and he is the bridge to cross that chasm. As the worship team comes, I want to close with a question. Where are you in relation to Christ? Jesus Christ said the following in John 3:36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. You may feel pretty good about yourself since lightning bolts are not falling from the sky on you. But as we learn today, the wrath of God does not necessarily work that way. You will get to the point in your sinfulness when God will just let go. Oh well, if that's what you want, have at it. You want to keep partying? You want to live a life without God? He'll leave you alone. You may say to yourself, maybe later. I want to enjoy now. Later I'll turn myself over to Christ. The problem with that kind of thinking is that you don't know if you'll have an opportunity later. Life can be gone in a second. And once life is over, there's no more opportunity. 
the door closes on you. Or Jesus Christ can come back even any second, even as I speak. All the signs that he gave us for that happening are, are happening. And once that trumpet sounds, announces his return, it'll be too late. For those of you who have received Christ but cannot find the courage to speak the gospel, what you need is the power to witness. Pastor will come and tell you how to receive that power. In this day and age, we cannot lay our hands on you. It is our custom. But we can certainly pray for you. Jesus is calling. Won't you answer? <laughs>